Ruth chapter one, how this Moabite woman named Ruth left or gave up her homeland. Um, and, and really we looked at how she was, wasn't just leaving her home, she was giving up uh, her future. She was giving up her, her family, any, any hope that she had to, to have a normal life, she really felt like she was leaving in Moab. And she left her hometown of Moab to go with her Israelite mother-in-law because she was older and she wanted to take care of her and, and help her. And so Ruth went with Naomi from Moab to Bethlehem, back to Naomi's hometown um, where she was gonna live out her days. Now, in Israel, Ruth would have been considered uh, an orphan because uh, Elimelech, that would be Naomi's husband, had died as the patriarch of the family, the father figure in the family. Ruth was now an orphan. Her husband had died. Naomi's two sons had died back in Moab as well. So now Ruth was a widow and living in a, a strange land, she was also an, an alien or a foreigner. So Ruth kind of checks all these boxes. She's an orphan, she's a widow, and she's a, a foreigner. And to top it all off, again, she's from this nation, this place called Moab, and Israel had some really bad history with Moab. They did not like each other. And so in Ruth chapters one and chapters two, uh, we are consistently seeing Ruth, and, and every time her name appears, really, it says Ruth the Moabite. <laughs> Ruth the Moabite. Like the author wants to make sure that we don't forget who this person is and where she's from. You ever been in a situation where you or somebody you know is always referred to by their history or their heritage, their lineage? It's this person from this place and it kind of brings up all of this trouble and, and, and these problems that, that we had. It like brings up all our history and our baggage like, I just want to be somebody else. I want to start new and I want to start fresh. But everywhere Ruth went, it was Ruth the Moabite. Well, today we're going to dive into Ruth chapter two. And Ruth and Naomi have now made it back to Israel from Moab. They have secured some kind of lodging within the city walls of Bethlehem. And, and now it's time to figure out how they're going to survive. So Ruth had came back with Naomi to make sure that she protected and provided for her in her old age. And, and now Ruth has to figure out how are we going to survive? And we're really only a few ways for them to do that at that time. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's like, like it's needed. Like they're back now. It's like they've got to figure out what to do next. So there's a lot of pressure on Ruth to find a way to provide for her mother-in-law and herself, even though she knows that the Israelites don't like her and are not gonna make it, make it easy on her. Still, she's like, I know I've got to find a way uh, to do this. And so uh, Ruth expects nothing but trouble from um, these people. She expects nothing but sorrow in her life. Like when she decided to leave Moab, she knew what she was getting into and she knew it was not gonna be good. That it was gonna be rough, it was gonna be a struggle and she was walking away from every hope that she had of, of having a future. And I think that's, 
That's exactly what the author wants us to see, and that's exactly how they set things up. Because the reality is that uh, love is often found where or when you least expect it. Did you experience that? Maybe some of the couples that were up here earlier experienced that. Like I wasn't looking for love, like it just found me. And, and so love is often found when or where we least ex expect it. We're just living life, we're doing other things, and all of a sudden, you know, that person shows up. I, I was 17 years old on the campus of Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri. I was there for a singing group. I literally didn't know a single other person of the couple hundred students, high school students that were there. I was a sophomore in high school at the time. And uh, I had gone into the cafeteria and um, there was a second story, this big wide staircase going up to the second story. And there were some people up there doing something. I, I didn't know what they were doing. So I went upstairs to see what was going on. And when I came up over the top of the stairs, I saw this gorgeous blonde standing with this beautiful smile. And she was so just bubbly and whatever. And I was like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm gonna be a part of it, whatever. Anyway, I happened to stand next to her and they were playing this um, game that Andrea said, I can't mention what it's called anymore. Um, but if you were in high school, maybe you, you played it with a driver's license. You had to pass it from mouth to mouth to the other person. It's a little bit risque name. Uh, and so, uh, so I can't say it, but anyway, I was right next to her and let's just say, was not what I was expecting, but I was really glad that I found it. Uh, it, was, it was pretty good. Love is often found when or where we least expect it. But, but the opposite is, of that is true because it's almost always found when you're looking for it. When you're looking for it, love, like you just happen to, to find it. I, I, I get the opportunity to, to speak and it's not really opportunity. It's, it's, not, it's not good for me. It's not fun. But sometimes in relationships, when they end, um, one of the people come to me and they go, hey, look, I just like my marriage is over. Or I've been dating this person for a long time and, and it, just, it just fell apart. And they're kind of there trying to pick up the pieces of their life and they're just devastated. And, and, and so I often, I often get this, you know, when we're kind of at our worst and we don't know what to do, we're like, ah, oh. so they come to me and like, I just, I wanna, I just, I wanna know God more, you know, I wanna do what God wants me to do. Cause when we don't know what else to do, that's the thing, right? We go, well, maybe I need to know God and maybe he'll keep this from happening to me uh, again. And so I wanna, I wanna grow spiritually. I wanna know God um, more. And I think that's great. But my, my advice to couples or people in that situation is always the same. Number one, I say, if you are searching for God, if you're chasing after God, if you wanna know God more, if you're learning to look more like Jesus, then God can absolutely bring the right person at the right time into your life. So that's number one. If you're searching for God, he can bring that person into your life. But if you are just searching for a person, if you're just trying to fill that void, I've, I've lost this person and I, I wanna be with somebody and I wanna have a relationship or whatever. If you're just searching for a person, very, very seldom does that person lead you to God. 
So th there's this struggle. And so I tell people, by the way, almost nobody takes my advice. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why that is, but I just, it's a little frustrating, honestly. But because it's so, it's so true. Like, look, if you're searching for God, then he might bring love into your life at a place that you didn't expect it, when or where you didn't expect it. But if you are just looking for a person, you're not gonna find God, but your chances are you're gonna find love. And, and then in a few months or a few years, you're probably gonna be right back coming to me going, my relationship just fell apart. Like we often jump into relationships because of what we want for ourselves, not because of what God wants for us. I don't wanna be alone. I, I really wanna be with someone. I wanna have somebody to share my life with. And so we jump into relationships because they're what we want, not because of what God maybe wants for us. But something amazing can happen when we let God write our love story. And so let's get into to Ruth chapter two today. Verse one says this. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, remember that all of chapter one, all of Ruth chapter one was focused on two characters, Naomi the Israelite and Ruth the Moabite. And, and we're told about this predicament. No, Naomi's husband dies. They're kind of, seems like they're fleeing Israel. and They're kind of doing everything wrong like the nation as a whole was doing. And then um, her two sons marry Moabite women, which they're not supposed to do. They kind of settle in, in Moab. And then her two sons die. And now these women are left uh, without husbands. And then in chapter two, verse one, like kind of the way chapter one, verse one started out, we're just like thrown in like, hey, there's this guy, his name is Boaz. And the author wants us to know two things about, about Boaz. Number one, he's a good guy. He's, he's a righteous guy. Like he seems to do the right thing, or at least he wants to do the right thing. And the second thing we're told is that he's from the same clan or family as Naomi's husband, Elimelech. And that's gonna come back into play at the end of the, of the chapter, um, which is probably why the author introduces him like so abruptly at the beginning of this chapter. And kind of what he's saying is, look, you, you thought the two main characters were Naomi and Ruth, but now it's gonna switch and there's where somebody else is coming in and gonna take one of those places. So let's look at verse two. Uh, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. Now in chapter one, verse one, we're, we're told out, it starts out in the period or in the time of the judges. And what, what we remember as you go back and you read the book of Judges, you find out that judges, that time period is marked by sin and rebellion and that refrain that everyone did what seemed good in their own eyes. And so the nation was just failing at following God. Like as a whole, it was just bad. It was not good. But there were still some people in the nation who were trying to do what God wanted. And, and the nation was different enough, even in the midst of all this sin, that the surrounding nations knew what was going on. They knew something was different about Israel. And so Naomi, uh, or I mean, Ruth understands that, that, there, that there's food for her out in the field if she would go. And so she says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go do this. Now, 
to know what's going on, you gotta go back to Leviticus, that, that book that nobody likes to read because it's full of, of ritual stuff and sacrifices and the priesthood and it's hard to understand and, and we don't get all the rules and regulations and why God's doing what he's doing. But in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, God commands the people of Israel not to harvest the edges of their fields or the corners of their fields. And he says, don't do that because if you don't harvest those areas, then you will provide for the foreigner and the less fortunate among you. Naomi and Ruth know about this. And so Ruth says, I know that there's gonna be this, there's supposed to be this, this grain out there. So let me go out in the field and see if I can and reap some of this. And so while chapter one, Naomi's story seems to mimic the national story of rebellion and, and sin, it appears now in chapter two that there are still people who are doing their best to follow God's command. And so Naomi knows that this is the only way that she and Ruth are gonna be able to survive. And so she gives Ruth her blessing. And we get to verse three. So she set out, Ruth set out, and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And we're told this thing again about, about Boaz. And I like the phrase, she happened to come to the field owned by Boaz, because some of the most important things that happen happen when we don't expect them to happen. Do you know that, notice that in your life? Some of the most important things that happen in our lives happen when we didn't expect them to, to happen. And so in the story in chapter two, you have to kind of read between the lines here a bit, but I'm guessing that Ruth heads out very early in the morning, just as soon as she could see at the break of day, and she's looking for a field in which to harvest some grain to provide for her and her mother-in-law. She's looking for two things as she goes out into the fields. One of them is she's looking for a field where the reapers are at work, but they have left the standing grain in the edges and the corners of their field. And if she finds a field like this, then she knows that the people who are working in that field are doing their best to follow God's law. They're leaving some behind for foreigners and the less fortunate, just like, like her. So she's looking for somebody who's following God. The second thing she's looking for are reapers or workers in their fields who won't drive her away when they notice that she's from Moab. So these two things she's looking for. And I wonder how many fields did she happen to pass by that either they weren't following God and so they had, they had reaped clear to the edges of the field or they weren't being kind and they drove her off but, but, but anyway, somehow she happens to end up in this field. And here's the lesson um, for love. You've got to be willing to pass up what's present for what's promised. And that's hard, isn't it? That's hard. Because we see things and we go, oh man, if I just did this, I could get that. And, and we kind of forget that there's this promise from God. And when we follow the promises of God, there's more and more and more. It's hard to pass up what's present for what's promised. Now, God certainly didn't promise Ruth a, a, a spouse, right? That's not what's going on. And he, he didn't, if you're looking for one, he didn't promise you a spouse um, either, but he does promise to provide for us. 
He does say, when you follow me, I'll make sure that you have the things that you need. And Ruth wasn't looking for a husband. She was looking for some help. That's what she was looking for. She wasn't out looking to find love. She was looking to find some help and some food for her and, and Naomi. And God had promised through his people to provide for that, for that need. And so Ruth happens to come to this field owned by this guy named Boaz. And what she finds in the field are, are both people who are following God's command. So they've left the grain in the corners and the edges of their field and they're being kind. And we see that in the rest of the chapter. And then, um, and then Boaz shows up and um, it's unclear if Boaz notices Ruth because of just like incredible beauty. There's some commentaries and some stories out there that says like, like, like Ruth was just knockout gorgeous. But, but we don't really know if, if he notices her because she's really attractive or because she does something that makes her stand out to Boaz. She, she, she acts in a certain way. One of the rabbis I read said that um, what she may have been doing was uh, while she picked up these stalks of grain that had been left, either fallen on the ground or still uh, had not been cut, she would not take all of it. She took some, but not all. So while she was collecting for her need, she left some for those who might come after her who were also in need. And, and that showed Boaz like, the, the. so Boaz may have recognized some, some character things with, uh, with, with Ruth, but whatever it was he noticed, either her beauty or just her character, he was moved to help her further. And so he goes to his workers and he gives orders to protect her. And then he tells her, look, stay in my fields. Don't go out, don't look in other fields. Stay here and, and I'll protect you. He even goes a step further. And he, and he tells this Moabite woman, he says, you can even drink from the water jugs that, that the servants have brought for the workers. Now, um, Moab maybe wasn't as hated as Samaria, just to Israel's north, but they weren't liked. And, and we talked last week about how God had said that, the, that Israel was not to work for the peace or the prosperity of Moab. And here Boaz is like, hey, you can have some of this water that, that my workers brought up. I, I wonder if there were workers there in his field who refused to drink after she drank the water. That's how much they didn't, didn't like him. And so Ruth is just floored by this kindness and she asked Boaz why he would do such a thing. Why are you being so kind to me? Like she had expected contempt, but what she had experienced was kindness and it surprises her. And, and so Boaz tells her, he's like, look, I, I've heard of your righteousness. I've heard of what you have done for Naomi, your, your mother-in-law. And he's like, look, I know you're from Moab, but there's something more going on with you. Something more than what meets the eye. Like, I know you're a heathen, but it seems like you've got a good heart. Uh, Boaz didn't just see her citizenship, he saw her character. And, and he was like, these two things don't line up with what we've been told. And so Ruth then in the story in chapter two, she comments on Boaz's character as well. And then it gets even better because, because of the way Ruth responds to Boaz, like he's even more into her. 
Because he gets, he's getting to know her a little bit. And, and now he's thinking, hey, this woman's not just smoking hot, but she's honorable as well. And he's like, man, I, like, this, is, this is really cool. And so look at what happens. Um, look at what happens next. At, at mealtime, Boaz says to her, come and eat some of the bread uh, with his family. Dip your morsel in the wine. And so she sat and she ate with them and all this stuff. And then she got back up and she went to go glean. And then Boaz instructs his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach, reproach her. And pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and, and do not do not rebuke her. So it's getting pretty interesting here, this kind of back and forth with Boaz and, and Ruth. And so they weren't really sitting at a dinner table. They were out in the field and Boaz and all of his workers and, and servants, his reapers who were out there had gone to sit down and they'd had somebody cook and they'd had this meal. They'd been out there all day working. This is probably the only meal that they've eaten all day. And he invites Ruth the Moabite to come and sit with them in the circle and, and, and eat. Now, now he appears like those people looking at this think this guy is disobeying the command of God, according to uh, Ruth, what she was supposed to do. But Boaz sees that Ruth is acting a lot more like an Israelite than a lot of the native born people that he's seen. And so um, the workers are here, they're sitting down, they're enjoying this meal. And probably the workers in the field here are part of what's called a Boaz Badoff. A Badoff is the household. Boaz was probably the patriarch in the household. And so everybody kind of worked for him to help him accomplish what God had, had given him as his purpose. So his household was made up of not only if, if he had kids, we, we don't know that Boaz had any other children at this point, um, but he's probably got uh, younger brothers or siblings and, and their children and families, and they all live together in this Badoff, and they all work together to support um, Boaz and, and what he's doing. So these working in the field for Boaz, for the household, they are literally taking food out of their own mouths to leave for Ruth. And, and Boaz says, don't just leave the sides of the field in the corners. He's like, accidentally drop some bundled sheaves of grain on the ground as you're stacking them up in the shocks so that they can be picked up later. Like he's like intentionally leave more grain for her. Um, and, and this is like crazy, like nobody would have, have done this and it would not have set well with the rest of the family unless they had the same character as Boaz. And so Ruth stays out there all day long till sundown and she heads back into town to go back to Naomi and see what she has from the, the day. And so the text, if you read in your scripture says um, that she came back home with about 22 liters of barley. That's what they had left for her and what she had, had gleaned, 22 liters of barley. So imagine she's walking home with 11 two liters of, of, of barley. In fact, if you do the math, it's about 210,000 heads of grain. Uh, yes, I actually did the math for that this week. Uh, it's about 0.065 grams per head of barley. Then you gotta do the math. 
which I'm not good at, but I figured it out. Uh, and so she comes home and she says about 30 pounds of, of barley. She walks home after one day's work and she plops down this bag of 30 pounds of barley on the, on the, the table. And remember she ate with Boaz and his family, his workers, and she didn't eat all of her food. And so she brings what's left over too. We're seeing this character of Ruth um, come out. And it's obvious to Naomi that um, Ruth got some sort of, of help. And so her mother-in-law says in verse 19, where did you glean? Where have you worked? Like this is an appropriate question. Where did you get all this? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And so Ruth told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Okay, here's where we learn why the author told us in verse one and then in verse three, that Boaz was a righteous man from the clan of Elimelech. Because if you look at verse 20, it says, this man is a close relative of ours, a redeemer. If you go back to Leviticus chapter 25, verse 25, you read that if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemers, nearest kinsmen shall come and redeem what his brother had sold. And there's a whole lot more to what a kinsman redeemer is, but that's the idea. See, Israel is supposed to be different from the nations that surround them. And so as a kinsman redeemer, Boaz has the obligation if he's following God's command, not only to buy the land of his deceased relative Elimelech from whoever uh, Elimelech sold it to before he moved to Moab, so he could have money to move to Moab, but he also has to take over the care of Naomi and Ruth. And so the chapter ends with this little statement that Ruth continued to glean with Boaz, with his Badoff, throughout the barley and the wheat harvest. It's about three months while she continued to live in Bethlehem with Naomi. And Boaz continued his kind treatment of Ruth, which means Ruth and Naomi experienced abundance when they expected scarcity. Now there's no way that Naomi and Ruth could have anticipated how God would provide for them when they were back in Moab. They thought life was over when they made the trip back to Israel. They could not have known that, that Ruth would just happen to go glean in Boaz's field. And while Naomi and Ruth were just trying to survive, they're just trying, like, how are we gonna provide for our daily needs? How are we gonna pay rent? How are we gonna, gonna just get by? While they're just trying to survive, God is busy writing their story. And when we trust the story that God is writing for us, even when it's hard, and even when we expect that it's not gonna go well, what we experience is often much different. But when we try to write our own story, when we try to figure it out, when we, when we chase after what's present instead of what's, what's promised, we experience things that we didn't expect because we always expect it to go right when we do the things that we wanna do. And when we say things like, well, I thought he was gonna be different and I thought she was gonna be better and I thought they were the one. If you wanna trust the story God is writing, you have to believe that what's, that what's promised is better than what's present. If you're gonna trust the story that God is writing, you have to believe that what's 
promised is better than what's present. And it's hard to do that. But God even says, Jesus even says in Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things are gonna be added to you. I'm gonna make sure that you have, I'm gonna provide for you if you seek me first. And so the question is this, are we willing to trust God's plan in the middle of our predicament? Whatever that predicament might be. Maybe it's a relationship thing, maybe it's a financial thing, maybe it's an emotion, maybe it's a physical thing that you're going through. Are we willing to trust God's plan in the middle of whatever predicament we happen to be in? Because when it comes to relationships, like if you're looking for someone, make sure that it's God. It's God you're chasing after and then trust the story he's writing, even if you're not thrilled with the timeline that he's on. It's a hard thing to do for us. But look, if, if you wanna find somebody, Mr. Right, Mrs. Right, whatever you want your relationship to be good, if you follow God, if you chase after Him, He can give you all that other stuff. There's promises there that come with that. But if you're just looking for the relationship, if you're just chasing after that, chances are you're not gonna, gonna be with God where you wanna be. We gotta be willing to give up what's present for what's promised. It's hard, but we can do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the story of, of Ruth. Thank you that even in the midst of, of, of Israel's sin and failure and rebellion, we see that there are still people who are following after your heart, who are obeying your commands, even though it must've been very difficult when they watched other people harvesting all the way to the edges of their fields must have been very difficult for them to stand up for the commands that you had given. And yet we thank you for guys like Boaz and Naomi and Ruth who are just doing their best to chase after the promises that you've, you've given. They were, uh, they were willing to, to give up what was present in their lives and chase after the greater promise. Would we be people like that? And would you help us do it in Jesus' name?